0: Hey, hey, just wanted to stop this podcast episode for a moment to let you know about our free workshop coming up next week. So as we know, it is Eating Disorder Awareness Week this week. We are all about food relationship and the way that we relate to food. Something that is really, really common for many of us is emotional eating and using food as a way to cope. However, in diet culture, there's a lot of misconceptions around emotional eating and even like tactics to stop and manage emotional eating that may actually be harming your relationship with food and with your body. So next week, we're going to go through a three-day event where I'm going to teach you all of my best tips around emotional eating so you can understand yourself, your triggers, identify what you need, and learn how we can manage with kindness. If you're interested in joining this free workshop, head over to www.thebalancepractice.com forward slash workshop. I cannot wait to see you next week. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Balanced Dietitian podcast. I hope that you're doing so wonderful. Happy February. Today is February 1st as this podcast is being released. How are we feeling entering the second month of 2023? I'd love if we all took a moment right now to get deep breath, nice. Deep breath and just settle into our bodies, whether you're walking around, maybe you're listening, sitting down, drinking coffee, maybe you're moving your body, wherever you're at. If you take a moment to just connect to your body for a second and check in on how we are feeling and how we are doing today. Oftentimes, as we come to the second month of the year, the high of January has now ended, came to a crash. Um... And it can be a really hard time. I often find that with my clients, February can actually be one of the tricky months because we're no longer on the high of the holidays. Um, maybe some folks engage in some dieting behaviors and then it doesn't last anymore and we're back to ground zero. And or it's just kind of this piece of like being exhausted of the winter time. The high is done. We're still in it. There's just a lot happening. So taking a moment to check in with yourself to see how you are doing, I think is so, so, so important. And um, before we get to the podcast episode today, I also want to let you know that next week I'll be running a free workshop. It was actually supposed to be this week, but we pushed it to next. So it's actually going to be next week uh, from the 7th to the 9th of February. And we're going to be doing a workshop on emotional eating, managing our emotions without food, learning to, um, you know, cope with those emotions, recognize those emotions, and really nourish our bodies with kindness. So, if that's something that interests you, if you want to be part of it, you're more than welcome to join us. Again, it is free and the replay will be available for a week post the event. Um, so, even if you can't make it live, I still encourage that you join us for this event. So, you can go to thebalancepractice.com forward slash workshop to sign up. And yeah, I'll look forward to connect with you. Now, today I want to talk about eating disorders because from February 1st to 7th, it is Eating Disorder Awareness Week here in Canada. And if you don't know this about me, um, I run the Balance Practice which is my baby, which is a multidisciplinary clinic of of, um, dietitians, therapists, social worker who specialize in eating disorder care. This is what I do on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) And it's such a big week for us to bring awareness. I mean, I feel like we try to bring awareness like all week long, all the time, but right now that is a pretty big deal, right? Like trying to really focus on um, talking about ED, talking about the awareness piece. So today I thought it'd be a pretty cool thing to talk about certain myths about eating disorder and certain facts about eating disorders that are maybe not known. And I would love if you are able to share this episode to help us spread the word for this awareness week. We so appreciate any share, any reviews, any, any, Um, likes on our podcast as it helps us spread the message. But this week, particularly as we are focusing on spreading eating disorder awareness, we would love, love, love if you're able to share this podcast to your story on Instagram or with a friend or whoever you think would benefit from learning about eating disorders, getting more information about it, because that's all what we are all about. So I'm going to start with a few myths around eating disorders, and then we are going to talk about a few facts about eating disorders. So the first eating disorder myth that we see all the time, and I probably talk about this quite a lot, but I think it's really important, is this idea that eating disorders do not have a body size. So the myth would be that an eating disorder has a body size, that it's a typical, maybe teenage white girl, very, very thin, and that's an eating disorder but it is not. So let's unpack that right now. Eating disorders do not have a body size. Actually the majority of folks who have an eating disorder don't actually live in thin bodies, right? People of all body sizes, all body shapes, all body colors, all body abilities, all of us at all age, all gender, all the things can be impacted by eating disorders. It does not have a look. This is probably the most um, important fact, right? Um, And the reason I say it's the most important fact is that if we believe that eating disorders have a look, then it's very, very easy to um, not see someone who's struggling. It's really, really easy to overlook uh, folks who may not fit like the bias that we have, right? Who doesn't, doesn't fit the image that we have. It's easy for people who struggle to continue to struggle in silence, right? And as someone who has an eating disorder, if we believe that there is a a size, a shape, a look to an eating disorder, and we don't fit that category, it's going to be less likely that we're going to go get help. We may believe that we're not sick enough. We may believe that we don't deserve help. We may don't believe that it's serious enough. If we attach a look to the illness. So this is really important. And if this is the only thing that you remember from this podcast episode, that's 100% okay. Eating disorders do not have a look. They impact all people of all ages, all genders, all body sizes. All right. The second um, myth is that eating disorders are not really serious and are maybe just like choice or a thing of vanity. Let's talk about it because that is also not true. Eating disorders are serious chronic illnesses. They are a mental illness. It's not about look, it's not about attention, it's not a choice that someone is making. It is a very real um, illness. So all of the eating disorders that we have or that we have that are out there um, are in the DSM. They have criteria to be diagnosed. And I also believe that even if you don't have a diagnosis, your eating disorder is still very, very valid. Your experience of living with an eating disorder is as valid. And I think, you know, when we think of ED and maybe reasons why we think that they're not as serious might be because there's so much disordered eating in our culture. Right? Like working in this field, working with people who have a healthy relationship with food, who have eating disorder, disordered eating anywhere on the spectrum, it is so common in our society to have disordered relationship with food. And I think, you know, part of it is, I mean, okay, this is going to sound really weird, but part of it is good in a way because it helps us bring more awareness, right? The more people that struggle with this, the more that we can make a big impact in movement because it impacts everyone. But the issue with that too, is that I think it takes away maybe some of the seriousness behind EDs, right? We kind of like forget how like dangerous this illness is, Um, but it's really something to remember. So I think two things I want to share on this in terms of the seriousness of of eating disorders. um, First of all, is the mortality rate of eating disorders. And I mean, I think this is an important thing to know with context, right? But that eating disorders are the number one, um, mental illness with the highest risk of mortality. And this can be from the eating disorder itself. It can be dying by suicide. It is so important for us to keep that in mind when we think of, you know, the severity of the eating disorder, but even like without that part, eating disorder also very, very chronic, right? So very, very chronic. I don't think you can be very chronic. You're either chronic or not, but here, here's my grammar one-on-one for today. Uh, but eating disorder are a chronic illness, so when we look at the recovery tr- process, right? So with the balance practice, like this is what we specialize in. This is what we work through. What we see is that, and what we know from literature is that when someone is able to get treatment pretty fast, when we are able to recognize the eating disorder, start treatment, it really is supportive of the outcome of the recovery in terms of length of recovery and then the maintenance of recovery. But what we also know is that a lot of people live with eating disorder for years, right? Even with support, even with getting help, even with doing all of the things eating disorder are chronic and it takes time. So this is also important to name because if our beliefs around eating disorders are preventing us from getting help, we also know that it prevents us from recovering. Um, and that's something that we, we know, as providers, prevention is number one. Like we would love to be able to prevent all eating disorder if we could but when we can't early treatment is really what we aim for um to be able to fully support folks who are um having an eating disorder have an eating disorder also in terms of the seriousness of the illness um eating disorders impact everything right i think another like misconception maybe like it's just about the food piece and like it's just about food or it's just about looks and that is not what it is like not only is it like, you know, a mental illness that we have, it impacts every single facet of our life. The way that I like to explain it, um, and I, I want to say here, like before I continue, like as if you haven't had an eating disorder or you don't know someone with an eating disorder, it makes sense that we don't know these things, right? Like before having my own lived experience of having an ED. I truly did not get it. Like I could not understand it. And it makes sense. Cause one, there's a lot of stigma and there's not a lot of awareness. So this is a great episode <laughs> if we are maybe not someone living with an ED or not knowing someone. Right. Um, but what I was going to say is that it's not just about food. It impacts everything. The way that I like to picture it is imagining that we have like, I don't know, everybody has like a different like visualization of it. For me, it was like, Imagine that you have like this cloud or this thing that's like sitting on your shoulders and constantly yelling in your ear all day long. The ED is just yelling, 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 yelling. We can imagine that if we have something yelling in our ear all day long, it is hard to show up in every aspect of our life. It's hard to hold conversations, to connect with people, to do our job, to do our studies, everything becomes much harder because of the eating disorder. And that's something that I think is important to name because it is not just about the food, right? Food plays a big role, right? In all eating disorders, there is a piece around food, right? There is a piece around the relationship with food that has been altered. That's now unhealthy. That's maladaptive. This is true. And it's not just about the food. Right. There's all of these other components of the eating disorder that must be addressed, but also the way that the eating disorder actually impacts us at all the levels. Right. That's also something that I, I really think is important to name. Um, I remember when I was going through my recovery process, that's something that almost came like, I don't know if it was just like not known or what it was really. But what I found really interesting is that It's almost like people could understand that mealtimes were difficult. And then me outside of mealtime was like, okay, cool. You're just like regular you. Like we get mealtimes can be difficult, but then the rest of the time you're fine. And that's also not necessarily true, right? Because again, although eating disorders are about food, they're not just about food. They're about the way we see ourselves, the way we cope um, the way we perceive the world, like there's just so much that's ingrained, um, behind this. So another myth that I want to talk about, and we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, how eating disorders don't have a size, but also eating disorders don't have a gender, right? Um, I think there's sometimes this belief that eating disorders impact uh, women and Yes, true, but not just women. There is a lot of men who are also impacted by eating disorders, right? And what's really interesting is that when we look at studies, we'll see something along the lines, like maybe like 10% of eating disorders are reported by male, but we also know that it's probably much higher than that. And the reason is that there's still a lot of stigma around eating disorder and especially stigma around male having eating disorders. So Although, yes, it is a disease that impacts women quite a lot, it also impacts men. And I do want to name here it impacts people of all gender and people who are non binary as well, right? All of this comes together. And actually, in the trans community, we know that eating disorders impact trans people a lot more than cisgendered folks. So that's also something that we will talk about when we talk about our eating disorder facts. So stay tuned. All right. And then the last myth that I want us to talk about is that we can tell if someone has an eating disorder and it's like easy to tell if someone has an eating disorder. (sighs) So that is not true. My friends, that is not true. There's actually most people um, actually suffer with their eating disorder in silence. Most people who have an eating disorders, you would never be able to tell. And I think this kind of myth goes ties ties back to eating disorders don't have a look, um, that you can't necessarily see it on the physical body. And I think this is, you know, part of the balance practice and part of our mission is that we are a weight-inclusive practice. Our values when it comes to being anti-diet, anti oppressive, weight-inclusive are so strong. And part of it is because, you know, any type of like, or what I believe anyways, is that weight centric models causes a lot of harm in all areas. But with eating disorder care, I really believe that the weight centric model causes a ton of harm, right? Because when we only see the ED by the weight that the person has, we are missing the picture, right? Most people by looking at them, you may not be able to tell anything. And actually having worked with hundreds and hundreds of clients over the last few years, most people in their disorder or their eating disorder, they feel very alone, right? Because there's so much like chaos, there's so much happening, there's so much challenges and struggles that they're going through their eating disorder and no one on the surface can know, no one sees it, right? And that's kind of the stigma that attaches, I think, any type of mental illness where we don't get to visually see it. So we may not know and understand the severity of it. But I think that's something that's really important to remember is that we don't know. And just because someone appears well and appears to be okay, doesn't really mean that they are, right? And another facet of an eating disorder is that it is a very smart and sneaky mental illness, right? So we'll have people that, you know, like when they are with friends and family, it may not appear like food is a struggle, but it's the other like 23 hours of the day. So that's just something for like food for our brain or food for thoughts, food for our brain, food for thoughts. When we think of like, you know, our perceptions of EDs and like, would we know if someone have an eating disorder and, and our, our own biases that comes behind eating disorders, right? Now let's look at a few facts of ED that we may not know that I think is really, really important to know, especially in 2023. The first fact that I really want to talk about is that there is no one cause for an eating disorder. They are like an onion with multiple layers. There's so many reasons why, um, someone develops an eating disorder and it's never just one thing. So we do see that there are definitely some, you know, um, biological factor in terms of like our own DNA our genetics, um, our sex and age that can contribute, but not not to say that's the only thing, um, you know, our history, if we've had any traumas in our life, um, our sexual orientation, and um, all of these things can contribute. Then we have our social factors and then we also have some psychological factors. So there's so many factors that, that like all together combine, create this perfect storm to create an eating disorder. And then there's very much a big part of the environment that we're in. And I think it's something whether with COVID, we saw a lot of, right? COVID really like help us like look at the, like, I mean, okay. So during COVID, there was a huge increase in prevalence of eating disorders. Um, And it's not to say that eating disorders were not there before the pandemic. They've always been there. And with the pandemic, we saw a huge increase that really showed us the impact of the environment that we are in um, on eating disorders. And with the pandemic, what we saw is social media is a big contributor. I don't want to say that they're caused by social media. Right? Because like social media cannot cause an eating disorder on its own. Like if we have no other risk factors for an eating disorder, like maybe we engage in disordered eating because I mean, social media is not always the best place to be, but it doesn't cause an eating disorder, but it's definitely a strong risk factor, um, especially like TikTok, Instagram, all of these things that can show a lot of very disordered patterns and especially at a younger age, when we are maybe more influential and like, we're, we're looking like, you know, for models and things to follow. Um, but it's not just that, right. It's also like our routine, the way that we perceive ourselves, our fear of, um, you know, being sick and all of these things that contribute, but the fact remains that, um, uh, is multifaceted. And it's never the person's fault for having an eating disorder. And it's never the parent's fault for the child developing an eating disorder. There's so many different factors around that can put someone at risk. I do believe that knowing those risk factors can be really important, right? Because like there is risk factors, there's also protective factors and things that we can do to protect ourselves. And again, even if we protect ourselves the best way we can, we may still develop an eating disorder. And so just wanted to name that um, because I think that's also super duper important. Um, Another fact around eating disorders that I wanted to talk about today is just the different types of eating disorders. And I think this goes back to like eating disorders don't have a look and there's just no one thing, but just like having the understanding that there are different types of eating disorders. I think that you know, in social media, we learn a lot about anorexia, which is a very restrictive type of eating disorders and binge eating. Like I think binge eating is like making a a big wave right now where we talk a lot about binge eating, but there's also a lot of other eating disorders, right? Like bulimia, osphid, arphid, pica, rumination. There's even like orthorexia, which is not technically an eating disorder in the DSM, Most likely will be in my perspective because the obsessiveness of wellness, but just knowing that there's so many different nuances within, you know, when we struggle with our relationship with food and our body. Another fact with eating disorder that I really wanted to, um, talk about is when it comes to the treatment and access to treatment right now, especially like here in Canada and I'm know it's very similar in the States and maybe probably around the world, access to care when it comes to eating disorder is not ideal. There's a lot of people who are on wait list for years to get treatment here in Canada. And I think that's something that's really important to to name and to know. Um, Going back to one of the first point that we made is that, you know, although like prevention is a key, early treatment is really important, but it's really, really hard when we don't have access to care, when it takes two years To get an assessment, right? To come into any types of services. Access to care in Canada when it comes to eating disorder has a, we have like, we have so much work to do. And I can speak more on the Ontario side of things because our practice is in Ontario. We can work for people across Ontario because we're virtual. Um, But in Ontario, there is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of difficulty accessing care in the public system getting inpatient, getting outpatient in hospital, any types of government-funded programs are extremely difficult to get into. Um, What we did in our practice last year is that, you know, as our practice is growing and we're helping more people with ED, we decided to connect with all the inpatient and outpatient across Ontario to be able to start collaborating, start helping more people across the province, uh, which has been really cool, right? Like, there's so many amazing programs that are offered across Ontario um, and just seeing how we can support those programs and how we can just support more folks across um, the province. But what we did see and what we do know is that there is definitely not enough resources and not enough Um, services available for folks who are currently struggling with an eating disorder. Um, And that's something that's important. And that's something that like, even on our end, that we really work with, you know, trying to get some coverage from OHIP and all of these things that we can do to increase access to care, because again, it is such a serious illness. It's a chronic illness, Um, And it is so important to get support, but support needs to be available. Um, And that's a big part of it that I think is really important to gain awareness around, right? Like when people are struggling and they can't find anywhere to get support, it's an issue. It's a social issue. It's something that we need to work in our system. Um, And that's why I know for us on our end, like you probably have seen that in a couple of last weeks, if you follow me on social or if you follow our emails, Um, our practice has developed in the last year a outpatient intensive program exactly to bridge that gap because what we saw is that we offer one-on-one with dietitians therapists like and we do a really great job with one-on-one care but what we saw is that there was a huge gap between our one-on-one care and then like inpatient or outpatient hospital and then there's like a huge wait line to get to any of these like programs that are inpatient or outpatient. So we really wanted to be able to bridge that gap, to offer something that's more intensive than just one-on-one, but really being able to provide a step down for people who are coming out of programs or people who are maybe on wait lists, who maybe need that extra support, like really need to be able to focus on their recovery. And that's where our practice really bridged the gaps beautifully. And I I really do believe that we are making quite a bit impact in the eating disorder world. Like we really innovating the way that we are supporting folks in outpatient to be able to provide that extra support. Our goal is really to get someone who is starting their recovery or in recovery to make like really big leaps towards like the full recovery within the program, right? We really want to be sure that we are almost like acting fast, that we are able to take charge of the ED, of the recovery, really making big strides and steps towards a full recovery. Because we believe that all our clients and all of you and anybody listening like deserve that full recovery of an eating disorder. Um, so yeah, I think that piece of access to care is important to name and then kind of looking at like what are other solutions and what else can we do? Um, and I think practices like ours, And others like are really looking at ways that we get to support folks differently, like post pandemic, because of all that happened, because of how many eating disorders there are, because we need more care, we need more access and we need need, like more qualified people to be able to support folks. Um, And I really believe that our like, you know, like weight inclusive and collaborative approach is really, um, really special place for people to land when they are um, needing of help. All right. And then the last, last fact that I'm going to um, talk about when it comes to eating disorder is that you can recover. And I wanted to finish up with this one because sometimes when we have an eating disorder, if you're supporting someone with an eating disorder, you know, someone with an ED, it can feel like it's, it's, it takes so long and it's so hard and so heavy. And it is right. Like having an eating disorder is a really hard freaking thing. And what we do want you to know is that you do get to recover and you can recover. And, you know, sometimes it's like, I, I imagine this is like a tugger war, you know, like the person like pulling so hard against their ED. Sometimes we just need to get more people on your team to help you pull that rope and pull the ED over so we can beat the ED. Um, and sometimes that's what it is, right? It's kind of finding like your support people, your team, people who can really help you beat the ED for good. But you have everything in you to be able to do that recovery process. But giving yourself the compassion that living with an eating disorder is something that's extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. It's something that's misunderstood. It's something that we're never really prepared for. You know, like if you've developed an ED, like no one asks for it. It's really, really hard. And I really, really believe that, you know, we can all recover. And recovery will look different for everyone. Like all of us will have a different look of what recovery is because we are all different people with different lives, with different goals, with all the things. And I so, so believe that it is possible for you. So on that note, my friend, I hope that you enjoyed this ED awareness episode where we talked about eating disorder. I'd love to hear from you either on my social or even like writing us an email. Do you like these eating disorder specific topics? Um, As I said, like our our practice specializes in this. We have so much to share around eating disorders. And um, if that's something you want to hear more of, please let us know. And we'll be happy to make more episodes that are just very easy specific for you to support you along your journey. At The Balance Practice, we're really Supporting folks like all along the eating spectrum, right? From intuitive eating to disordered eating to eating disorder. We really specialize in food relationship, body relationship to really support you and just living your fullest life, the life that you want to live without the ED, without disordered eating, without diet culture, just living well. So on that note, my friend, um, I hope I get to see you next week in the eating emotional eating workshop. If you are up for it, that would be awesome. If you are looking for support in eating disorder care, if someone you know requires eating, a support, care, eating disorder support, um, the Bounce Practice is the go-to place across Ontario to support you with your treatment. So I'd really encourage you to check our website, um, book a free call, like we'll talk about it, see if we're a good fit for you. Um, and then we'll go from there. On that note, my friend, Have a wonderful week. Happy ED Awareness Week. Please share this episode and I'll catch you in the next one.